Okay. Um, just a couple quick announcements too. Sh- Cheryl, I hate it, but I was talking while you were talking. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Not all of it, but I didn't hear you say anything about our break for spring break. Did you? Say- I don't know when the dates are. Oh, okay. Well, this year it's going to be a little different. Just to give you some warning, we're going to be off two weeks. The week uh, before Holy Week and Holy Week for a break. Now we're going to go this Kingdom series through that time, and then we're going to break. We're going to have another brunch because we like to do that. So we have a third brunch this year. So the, that, that, that week, so we're going to have a brunch and have that last time of talking about Kingdom Living, and then we'll have two weeks off. And then we're going to come back and have a final seven weeks and do a whole other series of something different. We don't know exactly what, but we know it's going to be fun. <laughs> so we're excited about that. So just keep that in mind as um, as you kind of plan your, your days. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to let you know, too, is we're kind of thinking on that brunch day, we don't know how this is going to work. So this is just sort of, we're just throwing this out right now. But we would love to have maybe a, a few of you tell a testimony or tell something that you've learned from um, Kingdom Living, something about the series that really resonated with you or you've applied to your life or anything like that. And then um, we're going to, we'll let you know in the next few weeks how we're going to have you submit or maybe write them out so we know kind of briefly what you're going to say or we may interview you or talk to you about it. But we kind of think that would be neat to hear from some of you guys up front. And so we'll see. Um, we don't know. We don't have any, we're not making promises, but be thinking about that. If you have something you really want to tell, um, I even think of Lori today. She could come back and share a little bit what she's learning from the Lord. Things like that. But um, that would be pretty dramatic, and we would love to hear that. So be in contact with us if you have something in mind or write something down, and we will be back in contact with you about that, too. So I wanted to say those two things first. Well, it is great to be back. I have been in Florida for a month, and I just loved my time down there. I tell you that not to make you envious or jealous or anything, but um, just to add a little warmth to your day. Someone told me once when I tell stories that that it kind of takes them on vacation a little bit. So I'm I'm taking you a little bit on a vacation today here. Um, And I felt kind of guilty when I was down there, and it was like, 13 below here, and um, but I just want to let you know that it was cold down there too. I mean, it was really cold. <laughs> it got down to 58. <laughs> and one night I was going, you know, I went to the grocery store because um, a lot of people come in when they're um, down there. I mean, the towns fill up from what they are in the summertime, and so everybody comes to town and they're getting their groceries. And so if you go to the grocery store, it's just crazy busy. And so one night I, I went to the grocery store. It was about seven or seven thirty, and I walked in and and um, I I noticed there weren't people in the aisles. Everything wasn't just jammed. It was just like almost empty. And I went up to the sales clerk at the front and I said, oh, this, I found, the, I found the time to come to the grocery store. It's just not even busy. And she goes, oh yeah, I know it's just too cold for people to go out. <laughs> that was the night that it was 58. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you guys would have felt like a heat wave, 58, and you are sitting here in 13 degrees below zero. Well, I always wanted to go, um, you know, get away from some of this cold, like I know probably everyone in this room want to do, want, would like to be able to do. And so last year when I retired, um, one of the things that I said to Chris, and he agreed, he said, let's, let's just try this out for a month. Let's just go where it's warm for a month. And he has the ability to take his computer and plug it in, and he can be 
a financial advisor for Morgan Stanley down in Florida, and they don't even know it. I mean, he's talking to clients. He has lots of clients down there, so he could see his clients and visit. So it was great for him. But I got the opportunity to just go and, and have hours of quiet time, and it was just, it was so great. But we didn't know anything about Florida going down. We kind of thought, you know, I don't know. We don't know where to go, and so we just kind of hopped online, and we we picked a house to rent for a month, and as we were driving down, we had to take our dog, so we had to drive down there, and... Um, but uh, as we were driving down, we started to think, oh, my gosh, I wonder what we're getting ourselves into. What kind of a place are we going to stay in? And, you know, is it going to, we just, you know, you, you can only see so much on a website. So we had no idea what this place was going to be like. And, and so we were just kind of went through all the scenarios. Oh, you know, what if you're, it doesn't have a hookup for you, Chris, and you're going to have to work in Starbucks every day? Or, we're going through all these little scenarios. What if the, the beds are kind of creepy and you feel like there's beds, bugs in there? I mean, you know, just all these things, all these risks we were thinking. It was just kind of fun to think about. But we knew that no matter what, it was going to be warm and the sun was going to be shining, and so it was worth the risk. So I have a question for you to start off today. I was wondering how you are taking risks. How... um, is your risk quotient, do you have to have all the answers out before you, you venture out, or do you like to just kind of go out and step out into the unknown? So go ahead and start talking about that. Well, that's a fun thing to talk about. How many of you guys are, are great risk takers? How many? Come on, risk your hand up. Not a lot. How many really are, are have a hard time just stepping out into the unknown? How many of you would take a risk going to Florida for a month? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> the analogy's not... What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish. I wish I had a place we could do that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, well, our, our risk-taking venture was great. I mean, we just had the best time. We had two weeks where there was nobody there with us, and um, we had um, a, a pool right outside of our, our place, and we, I got to go out in the morning, and there was lanai there. It was covered so I could sit, and I could study, and I'm telling you, I just loved that. I loved to just sit and study and read, and I, so I did that for lots of hours. And then, and Chris would get up in the morning, go get his coffee, and he'd be in his comfy clothes, and he'd just go do his work, and he just loved that as well. And then the second two weeks, um, we had, I have two daughters with their families, and so my one fam- daughter came with her family for six days, and then we overlapped a day, and then my other daughter came for another six days. And that was just such a great time. I didn't know, especially with the one daughter that lives in town here, how that would be every day with her. She's kind of can be, we can kind of butt heads about spiritual things and political things and stuff. So we just didn't have any idea how that was going to be. And um, but it was so great. We just had such a wonderful time. And getting to walk on the beach with the grandkids, all those things that we just love to do. It was just great. Tuck them in at night and say prayers with them and see them in the morning. Oh, it was just such a joy. We had such a great time. So we had a wonderful time. And um, it was just great, great, great for us to get to do that. Um, 
Today we're going to talk about a risk. One of the most amazing or monumental risk-taking things that we could ever take. We're going to talk about the story of uh, the parable, which we I've loved studying the parables. That's just been so much fun to study these parables, what Jesus is talking about. But the parable of the wedding banquet. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. But before that, I want to tell you one more story. Um, last November was my granddaughter Taylor's seventh birthday. And um, she lives in town here, and so usually always for all of the birthdays we get together and we have the birthday dinner, like I'm sure a lot of you do for birthdays. And so last November, we were going to be out of town for her birthday, so I called up her mom, and I said, you know, Amy, we're going to be out of town, but how about if you come over here, we'll have the birthday dinner a couple days early at my house. And she said, great, oh, that's great, I love it. So anyway, we, we did that. We made this plan, so I you know, did the, the shopping and got the presents and wrapped them. And, and I thought, you know, a seven-year-old kind of likes fancy things. So I got a little fancier this year and put the tablecloth on and the, cooked the special birthday cake that we always have. And, and I'll put candles on and, and, the, and the flowers even for her table. It just looked so fun. It was just so fun to put, get out and make it a little fancier for my, my little seven-year-old granddaughter. And um, so everything was ready. I went and sat in the great room and sat down. Fire was lit. House looked great. It was fun. And then um, as I sit in my great room, I can kind of see. We have a driveway that goes down. So I can see cars that come down into the driveway. And so I sat there and I waited. And for just about like a half an hour, looking at my watch, where is Amy and the family? Really didn't think anything about it because she um, is just working now. And it's just started back. And she can get really into her day, and I knew to gather three little kids and her husband and everything to come over. She might be late. That's not a big deal. And then another 15 minutes went by, and I looked at her, and I, uh, or I, I thought, oh my gosh, so I'm getting worried, and so I, I called her up on the phone, and um, no answer. And then, so then I texted her, and I said, Amy, where are you? Are you on your way? And no response. And so then I waited a little bit longer, and about an hour and a half, and I'm just getting frantic at this point, she calls me. And she goes, Mom, I forgot. I forgot the birthday party. <laughs> I mean, you, you what? You forgot the birthday party? And she goes, yes, I can't believe it. She says, it's just been a crazy day at work. And I just have to add here that she's sort of a little bit like her mother. I mean, we, we get into these things, and we just are, like, so focused, and all we can think about is what we're getting in front of us. And so other stuff kind of gets scattered. And she's like that. And so she had just totally gotten into this crazy day at work, went home, cooked dinner, put the kids in the pajamas, and forgot completely about the party. <laughs> and so I said, no problem, Amy. We'll just pack up the dinner. You can have it tomorrow night. We'll bring the cake over and open the presents. And so we did that. We had a great night. I mean, it wasn't, but it wasn't quite the same. But um, she called me the next day. And she goes, Mom, I just feel so bad. And, and uh, I said, don't worry about it, Amy. And we laugh about it today, but um, it, no, she felt terrible at the time. <laughs> But today, I'm going to talk about another party that nobody is going to want to miss. The wedding banquet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That, that, that banquet, that party, nobody is going to want to miss. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so I want you to open up your Bibles. You can get ready to study. Um, and look, we're going to start first. Let's open up to chapter 21 of Matthew. Thank you. 
Jesus has kind of lumped these parable, this main parable we're going to talk about, but he's lumped it with two other ones. So there's three parables that he's talking to right at the beginning here. Um, and just to set the, the scene here a little bit, um, this, is, this takes place, these parables that Jesus tells, takes place at the end of his life. In the last week of his life, it's sometime after he has entered into Jerusalem on that donkey. He knows what's ahead of him. He knows that the, 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 the Jewish leaders are out there to kill him. He knows what he's going to be facing. He also knows the glory that's going to come. He knows all of this stuff when he's telling these parables. I think it's always interesting to note where it fits in the storyline. And um, also to f- figure out um, who he's speaking to. Um, but these are Jesus' last words, and I want, I always think of that because it's not only, when he told parables, and from, from, even from chapter 13 on, it says that then he always, when he was in these big groups, Jesus taught in parables. He didn't, he, um, and the reason he did that is he was speaking in a, a, a deeper level to his believers, to his disciples, than those people that would not receive him. So he was speaking a lot in parables at this point in his ministry. And these are his last words. And he's not only speaking to the people that he's directly talking to, but he's speaking to our hearts because we are those believers. So we need to listen to that closely. So let's see who he's talking to. Let's look at at, uh, Matthew 21, and we're going to look at verse 23 where we're going to start. This is the first of the three parables here. And it says in, in verse... Jesus entered the temple courts. This temple courts is a huge area, about 35 acres, and he's just teaching in different places to different pockets of people. But he entered into the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. So here it is. It's the chief priests and the elders that he is speaking directly to. These people, these Jewish people that he's speaking directly, or these Jewish leaders that he's speaking directly to. Um, he's giving them, I think it's so interesting because as, you, as we noted earlier, he knows what's in their hearts. He knows that, that they are the ones that are going to um, crucify him. He knows these things, and yet he's still giving them more opportunities for them to come to repentance. That's your first point there, that Jesus never stops trying to woo us to himself. He never stops. I just think it's so amazing. He knows their hearts, but he never stops wooing, trying to woo those that are lost. Well, these high-ranking officials have come to Jesus asking him a question, and he kind of throws another question back at him, and, and, um, and, uh, and this is where we pick up this first parable. And he, he goes, it starts in verse, um, and I can't read very little, but 28, I think. The first of the three parables. He says, what do you think? He's talking directly to these chief priests. He says, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. That idea of repentance. He said he wouldn't, but he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So he said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do that. But he absolutely did not do what, what his father had asked him. And then, so Jesus throws out this question to these elders that he's talking to in this big group. He says, which of the two did what his father wanted? And then, of course, they have an easy answer. The first. The first that actually did what, what, what he wanted him to do. And so Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the son of righteousness, and you did not believe him. 
what the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. And so here we have this first parable that just that he's talking directly to the to these guys, and it's and he's saying to them, it's not what you do so much or what you say, but what you actually do. And that idea of repentance and belief, believing. Um, by the way, I sent the note guy in and forgot to leave the blanks blank, so you don't have to write anything down today. <laughs> I, I just I don't know where my brain was. I think I was still in Florida, but uh, yeah. So nothing to write down unless you just want to write your own notes down. But but um, so those blanks are filled in. So this next parable is also about this vineyard. Um, now these chief priests and elders, these guys that he's talking about, they know exactly what he's saying when he's talking about a vineyard. He's, they're talking about the, the house of Israel. Um, let's look up, get, um, go back in your Bibles and look up in Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. And we're going to look at Isaiah 5 real quickly, just briefly. If you don't want to look it up, you can just listen. I love to read Isaiah. I don't know why. I, I used to not get a lot of it. And somehow when, when Tabitha was sick, I just kept going back to Isaiah. I just love love it. But anyway, this whole chapter 5 talks about God's vineyard. Um, and when he talks about it, and so he's, he's saying, I prepared a vineyard for you. The whole This whole chapter talks about this vineyard that God has prepared for his people. And he makes it real clear what, he, what, this, what this vineyard is. And, and these chief elders, they would know because they were very knowledgeable about this, the Old Testament. That's what they did. They studied. That's what the priests did. They, they were experts in the law and in these, these, these things. So anyway, chapter six, um, 5, verse 7 it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. So anytime he talks about the vineyard, he's talking about um, the people, the Israel, the, the Jewish nation, the Israelites. And so they know that as they're hearing this story. And yet he still reads the story and they somehow don't see themselves in it. Let's read this together. Um, on ver- chapter, back in Matthew again, 21. It says, listen to another parable. So he's backing up this first parable with the second parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. So that's God planted his vineyard. That's exactly the vineyard is, is the people of Israel. He put a wall around it and dug, the, and dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. These things are all stated there in that Isaiah 5 chapter. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. Those farmers are the, is the people of Israel. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to, to collect the fruit. So the servants, we're thinking of those who are more the prophets. So he's sending his servants out to collect the fruit. And the tenants seized his servants they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. This is exactly what the Israel people did to the prophets, the Jewish nation. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Now remember, Jesus knows he's the son of God. He knows what's going to happen to him, and yet he says this. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. He knew that was what was right in front of him. He knew he was going to be facing his death. So they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. So Jesus has a question for me. He goes, so therefore, you wise guys, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? 
and, and they, they, just, they just take the bait completely. They don't get it. And they say, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. They just didn't see themselves in it. It was just so obvious what, when we read it back, what, what he was talking about. But they did not see themselves as the one that, that um, they weren't bearing the fruit. It goes on down there, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he who, whom it falls will be crushed. So I've got a question for you um, to talk around your tables. What do you think Jesus is saying to us today when he says that sentence? Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Just do a little Bible study around your tables. What do you think Jesus is saying to us today about that sentence? Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Okay. Okay, thank you. Probably got through that sentence a little bit. And so, okay, so what did you come up with? Who do you think those people are that we're talking about? Who's Jesus going to take that kingdom away from and give them to people? Who do you think those people are? Anybody say up? Us. Us. To the, yeah. He's it, it, taking, not, not only us, but all believers. He's taking it away. It's going to be open to everyone. Um, He's talking to us that we, we have, are going to have, be able to have a part in that kingdom of God, is what he's saying to these guys. He's taking, therefore, I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, meaning that just the, it, the, uh, the leaders, the Israel um, nation, and given to a people, all believers, anybody who, uh, who professes to know Jesus as their Lord, and, and, they, and those, but it comes with a requirement. It comes with that requirement. The kingdom of God belongs to those who produce its fruit. Um, and whenever I think of fruit, I always think, oh my gosh, oh gosh, that's, that's like, how many souls have I saved? How many people have I witnessed to? That kind of idea. And, and it does mean that. I wrote in your notes, I think, a verse there in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So we're talking about winning souls. Yes, that's part of it. But also, for us in the, in, um, that, that live after the resurrection, who have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's also a life that is changed by Jesus Christ. It's the manifestation of Jesus in living inside of us, being shown outside in our life. And I think the best verse that we know directly about that is the Galatians 5, 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those ideas, the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not only that we bring others to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, but our lives are going to show fruit. They're going to show a change. They're going to show some kind of ramification of Jesus is living inside of us in the power power of the Holy Spirit. And our life is going to be changed because of that. And so I want you to talk around your table a little bit about, have you seen that fruit in your life? And how have you seen changes that Jesus has made since you've become a a, a follower of him? Where do you see that manifested? Where do you see um, things that are different than what you were before? Just kind of a deeper question for you to kind of share around around your table. Do you see Jesus working in your life and in what areas? Go ahead. 
I know it always kind of puts you guys on the spot when you think about, you know, oh gosh, world's my life changed when I just come and say something. And, and also, it's humbling, you know, we don't want to just say, oh yeah, this is where I am now, and I was, you know, it's kind of, but you know, if God is changing our lives, we need to be... God is changing our lives. It's not anything you're doing. God is changing your lives. And that's what's so exciting. And he's changing all of your lives because he's giving you a hunger to want to know more. You're here. That's a, I mean, that's, that's a changed life from within inside. I just, we just need to praise God for those things that we see in our life. And more and more, just ask that question of yourself. Um, you know, where is God changing me? Where is he taking me from? And where was I five years ago, ten years ago, two years ago, a month ago? And what am I doing now that's just kind of, you know, where is he stirring my heart now? How is he working in me? Um, it's always important to just to see that, to give him the praise and the glory. It's not us, it's him that's doing that. So, interesting question to think about. How are we producing fruit? Will Jesus see that fruit in us when we come before him and stand before him? So with that in mind, I finally get to go to the parable that I wanted to talk about. Um, the, talking about the wedding banquet. Um, he has just one last um, parable for these chief priests and these elders and for all of us who are listening, the Pharisees. Um, one last chance to really see the truth. On the surface, this parable seems fairly easy to understand, unlike some of the others we've looked at, the mustard seed and the, and the, and the, uh, the yeast and, and even the seeds that are thrown across, along the path. Some of them are harder to understand. On the surface, this one seems pretty easy at the start of it um, to, to, to see what Jesus is trying to teach us about it. So here are these, uh, these chief, these I want to start off too with it by letting you know that these these priests, these elders that have studied the scripture, they know about this this banquet that Jesus is, is or they, not about Jesus, but they know about this great banquet that God is going to have. I want to op- look at a verse um, in Isaiah, again, I like Isaiah, chapter 25, because it, I, I don't know why prophecy has just been fascinating to me lately because um, it's just a little vision of what's going to happen in the future. And I, I just I just think it's fun to, to kind of see that and see how the things that, you, that was prophesied in the Old Testament comes true in the New and, and those kinds of things. But this one is in chapter 25 of Isaiah. And it's uh, verse uh, 6. I can't read very well in this light, but, um, yeah, six. And it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. I love that. It's all peoples he's preparing. A banquet of aged wine. We're talking about the best of everything. The best of meats and the finest of wines, he says. So he, they, and they know these verses. So there, there, there's this, this hint out there that there's going to be this huge banquet that God is preparing for his people. And as the Jewish nation, as they read these things, they may think it's in their lifetime. They may, may have this amazing banquet. But, um, but we know it's yet to come. This great banquet is yet to come. Um, we, from the, in the New Testament, also see other um, prophecies that, that we can look into. And one of them that we have that we get to look is in Revelations. So look at Revelations chapter 19. It's also talking about this great banquet. Some of these verses I do have in your notes, so if you don't want to look them up, you can, I don't know which ones I have and which I don't have, but it's Revelations 19. I think I want to let, have you look this one up because we'll be in it a little bit later also. Um, and this is a revelation that was given to the Apostle John, and this is given to him by angels 
or by an angel, and it says here in verse 6, Then I heard that sounded like a great multitude, this is John speaking here, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. This is what you heard shouting, Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So here, he's seeing into the future. John is seeing something that's going to happen that we have not seen yet, but it's out there in the future. John has been given this vision of this multitude and all these people rejoicing and being glad about this amazing wedding of the Lamb that was to come. Um, I, I want you to keep that marked, but go, we're going to go back to Matthew again, and we're going to look in chapter 22. And at the very beginning of Matthew 22, verse 1. Okay, um, the first verse there, or verse, uh, verse 2, says, The kingdom of heaven is like, well, let me, let's see, read it, right from the get-go. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven, talking about this kingdom of heaven that we've been talking about all semester, is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. I just want to stop there because I just want to set the scene. This is a king preparing a wedding banquet for his son. And we've all been to weddings. We've all been to, you know, our own maybe, or our daughters or our our sons or other people's weddings. We've all been to weddings. But this is just not the average everyday wedding. This is the king preparing a wedding for his son. I don't know why... um, but weddings, those royal weddings, always seem to fascinate me. I don't know if you're the same, but it's just the, just to see them on TV, we, we get those little glimpses of them. Um, like when Prince Charles and, and Princess Diana got married, just the, the pomp and the circumstance and the, the, the clothing and the gowns. It's just so fun to, to see all that and who attends and who are the honored guests. And um, So I want you to just think about uh, the most fabulous wedding that you can imagine. Um, I want you to think about, I want our imaginations just to kind of go a little crazy here, get out of our box, and try to imagine what do you think the Lord has prepared for us? What do you think this glorious wedding is going to be like, this this banquet, this time when we all gather as believers? This would be at the very beginning of the millennium reign, after, um, you know, at the very end of our time and the start of when um, Jesus reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this is the beginning opening ceremony, opening celebration. Try to think about what that would be like. Just try to put yourself there. Think maybe about how what you was, what, some of the feelings you had when you were a, a bride and your, what you anticipated. And take those thoughts and try to think of about maybe those are some of the things that you would um, think about. Because we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. We are that bride. And so all of us, if we've been a bride, we kind of know what it, some of those feelings. And so Try to set the scene a little bit in your own mind. Talk around your table. Let your imaginations go about what you think this will be like, this amazing wedding banquet. Okay. Oh, gosh, it's fun to hear what you guys are saying. It's just really, you got great points to be 
bringing up. It's just fun to it's fun to go there. And I go one of them one of the tables was saying how it's um, it's hard because our weddings are so into the bride, and this is going to be all about the king coming forth. And uh, so we have to make a few little adjustments of what those those side things are. But fun things to think about. Um, and we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but we are going to all be together as believers. And for that alone, it's going to be an amazing celebration. Imagine being reunited with those that you love, that you've lost. And just, oh my gosh, and in the king's presence. It's, it's going to be amazing. So it's fun to think about that. So, But we're going to keep reading in, in Matthew 22. Let's look at verse 3. Um, there all of a sudden becomes a problem. So the king, he's prepared this amazing banquet for his son. And then in verse 3 it says, He, meaning the king, sent out his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. I read those those words and um, I, I'm just thinking, you know, we, we, we hear them on just what, what they said. They refused to come. But until you really understand the culture and what was really going on here, the culture, and you may have heard this before, but um, the culture back then, and still is in, in that part of the world sometimes, to send out, you send out two invitations. The first invitation goes out to all the, 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 the guests, all those that are... Um, the honored guests. And so that invitation goes out, and then from those invitations come back all those people that say that, yes, I can attend the wedding and the, or the banquet or whatever the party was that they were going to have because they had to butcher the, the calf or the lamb or the duck or the quail or however big a, the, the response back was was what they had to prepare for. So they sent out this first invitation, and, and then they would find out how many to prepare for. Then they would make preparations, and they would... They would uh, uh, get everything ready, and then they would send the servants out and say, the time is ready. Come on to the party, all you that said you were going to come. So this is what we're seeing. The second invitation that has gone out, the king has sent his servants, and the people that hear this parable know this to be true. They know this is, when they're hearing this, they just can't, they're amazed by what they hear of the response when they say that they refuse to come. Um, and um, so he's talking about this um, the second invitation, they refuse to come, and so it's it's like an insult at the highest degree. It's it's a it's a complete slap in the face. Can you imagine um, if uh, if you um, had a wedding and you were going to have all your guests and they all said they were going to come, and then when you finally had the day, nobody showed up? Um, can you imagine what that be like? Could you imagine even more so at one of these royal weddings that we see in England when um, and and it's you know. Televised, and, and we see this huge. The, the king is, is having, uh, or in this case, it would have been the queen for his for Prince Charles, and nobody showed up. Can you imagine what an insult that would be? Um, and so God, from the beginning of time, has promised His honored guest, these people, these Israelites, He's promised him this place in His kingdom, um, but they have literally at this time refused to come. And Jesus knows that. These Israelites, the Jewish nation, he's, he's just making it so clear to them to say, you know, I have this kingdom from, from the beginning of time, and you are spitting in my face, is what he's kind of saying to them. But does he give up on them? Does, does our king give up on them when they're literally spitting in his face? I remember when um, I was a little girl, I don't know exactly the age, I was 
impressionable I was, maybe 10 or so, 10 or 11, and my sister had a, a party. Now, we're talking back in the 60s. That's how old I am. So it was a party in the 60s, and um, my dad said we didn't normally have uh, parties at our house for, uh, it was a girl-boy party that my older sister was going to have, and I think she probably was ninth or 10th grade, so I would have been in, in junior high. And um, she had sent out invitations to her for this party. And my dad had cleaned out the garage. And this was just not like my dad. It was just a, 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 an amazing thing that he even did it. He took his prized um, stereo set with all of his albums. <laughs> it was not that old. You guys don't get it, some of you. But he took, you know, the, the speakers. He took them down and all the wires. And then the stereo had it set up in the garage. And this cleaned out. And he threw, they sprinkled, Mom and Dad sprinkled sawdust on the um, floor for them to dance. And it was a girl-boy party. And, and my sister was so excited. And the house was just in uproar because that wasn't something that we normally do. And... I don't know the circumstances because I was young and I really haven't talked to my sister about it, but nobody came to her party. Nobody came. And to this day, that affects me. It's like, I'm afraid if I invite people over, they're just not going to show up. You know what I mean? Just the the devastation of that. And from what I understand, there was one girl that just was just one of those mean friends that just kind of said, no, we're not going to do that. Let's plan something. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the whole situation is. And your dad, too. And my dad, I mean, it was just embarrassing for my sister, embarrassing for my, I mean, I was, and so it was just like this huge party. So this is just a little party in a neighborhood of a high school girl. Can you imagine the king of kings when nobody showed up for his party? He put the invitation out and they were not showing up. The Jewish people were not going to be part of that kingdom. He knows this. But he doesn't give on. He doesn't give up on them. Let's read again in verse four. It says, "But then he, the king, sent some more servants. He sent another whole batch out, and he said, Tell those who have invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted, fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet." I just love that. I just love that. It just shows the graciousness even to God to the very end, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was still reaching out to those Jewish people, that graciousness that that he's still offering them this, this freedom, this kingdom. That's your point there. It shows the graciousness and the loving king of our that the king relentlessly pursues us. Even though we reject him and insult him, he still tries to woo us to his great banquet. He pleads with them. The time has come. Everything is ready. Come. So what is their reaction to the second invitation? To this when the servants come back up to them. Let's read about it in verse 5. But they paid no attention to him. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So we have these three responses. The first one, they completely ignored him. And I think of this when I think of the unbelievers today. These are the three responses we see. They completely ignore the whole thing, have nothing to do with it. They turn to the other things, to their life, their busyness, their work. They just complete, they're too busy to have time for that. I'll get to that someday. You have those people out there. And then there are those that actually hate the message, and they're out there persecuting and killing Christians. So we have these, other, these, the, the, these responses. And that's what we see today in unbelievers. Um, 
When I was in Florida, one of the things I had really fun, I was sitting one day on a beach all by myself before the kids came, I was by myself, there's a little toddler, a little cute, little, maybe two and a half year old, and she had this little pudgy little legs that toddler had, and this little tiny pink sunbonnet. And, and she spent the most, I mean, just a, a huge part of this afternoon, or the hour or so that I was there, she'd walk over and she would pick up a handful of sand, she would grab it, then she'd waddle over to the, the beach and she'd throw it in the ocean, then she'd take, you know, go back, walk back to and set. Ten steps again, pick up another handful of sand, and she just kept throwing it. And she kept doing that back and forth. She was so busy. She just thought she was so important doing her little job for the day. <laughs> you know, I, I guess the reason I, I mention that is because I think sometimes we think we're so busy. We think we're so, we, we, you know, we just are, are so distracted by doing just menial things. And I think when we read a parable, we, gotta, we have to remember that Jesus is saying these things to the believers. He's saying them to us, too. He, he's, he's speaking directly to these elders. He knows that's pretty much a lost cause. So he's, he's we need to look at parables as what is it saying to me about my life and so I put a question there um, about just how are you spending some of your time Um, Jesus promises abundant life and um, sometimes our lives are just so concentrated on this world that we don't have time to, to just really enjoy that abundant life that he has for us. When are you like those Pharisees in the parable who do not accept Jesus' invitation for a full and meaningful life of joy and celebration? And um, what is what are some of your excuses when you just don't just completely... Um, what are, what, are, what are the common excuses that you give that you just don't have time for Jesus? Or what is it that your most common excuse do you get that question? <laughs> well, make up your own, but that's what you've got to do. Go with. I think we've had different forms of this question off and on during the year because it's just such a practical one. Just, you know, how can we be more for the Lord? We just keep looking at that as, what's keeping me from being more for you, Jesus? It's just a question we have asked each countless times I think this year but it's such a great question <clears throat> but back to this um, this parable so what was the king's reaction okay he had been rejected twice he'd been completely um, shut down twice completely insulted what was his reaction look at verse 7 it says the king was enra- enraged he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city so the king was finally he'd had it he'd, he'd given them every opportunity and he was furious and so he, he, was, he sent his army and he destroyed those people. I think it is so interesting that in the midst of this little parable, he puts this little line in there because it's, it's a, it's many scholars, it's not just what I think, many scholars believe that that's a prophecy of what actually happened to his people. That he actually did in 70 AD. Um, he, they were, they were, his people were scattered, killed, and even the, the temple itself was burned to the ground. The stone, huge stone temple was, was destroyed, completely wiped out. And I think when you read through, through, through uh, prophecy, what sometimes makes it difficult is because you will have an, a long-term future prophecy, and, and right in the middle of it is, is a short-term, something that's going to happen in, a few, in, in just a short while. And we see it right here, because the whole parable is talking about something way out in the future, this great banquet, this great celebration that all believers, when they all get together, but tucked in the middle of it is a prophecy of what's going to happen to those believers that reject him in just a few years. 
And it's, it's an ominous thing because we see that if what happens in 70 years, they are destroyed, the city was, destro- was completely burned down, and his people were scattered and destroyed, we see that happening, then maybe what he says about uh, the destruction of those that don't come to him to, as a believer will actually come true too. Um, so it's this, this idea that, yes, you know, you see this, this thing happening in the future. Yeah, we're going to have this great banquet. But, yeah, he destroyed those that didn't come to him. He's gonna, there's going to be some, some accountability to those that do not come to him in the, in the grand scheme of things, too, in this, this, his, when his kingdom reigns here on earth. But I think that's always interesting to see when you're looking at prophecy. So continuing on in the parable, let's look at verse 8. Um, what he does next is even more shocking to these people that are hearing this story. The king is not defeated. He's not discouraged. No, the king says to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is amazing. This, this amazing banquet that Jesus has is for everyone. It's, it's for, for, the, for the down and outers, from the up and comers, for, from those that are, are dis, dis, uh, dis, the, the grudge of the world, the ones that have just really messed up, the, the bad, to those that have lived a really good life. I mean, it's for everyone. The banquet is for everyone. And Jesus is saying that now. Um, all of us, all of us are invited to this royal wedding. And that's my, my um, point there. The invitation to the wedding banquet is for everyone. It's also that idea that us, that we as believers need to be out there. Um, he says, gather them. Let them know what's going to happen. You, everybody's invited. Don't, don't sit back. Invite everyone to come to this, this. So it's this great idea of, of inviting others to come to the banquet. So here we are. The banquet is full. The house is just in celebratory fashion. Everything is, is ready. People are rejoicing and um, it, it singing. Whatever you may can imagine is happening at this banquet. And then the king him, himself enters into the room. It's an opportunity for all everyone to see the king at a face-to-face level. And what happens? It, took, it takes kind of a strange turn of events here. It says here... In, in verses 11. Um, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked. I love it that he calls him friend. He says, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Well, as I read this over time, it was just sort of confusing to me. This, it, it, all of a sudden, it, there's this, it's this story of the wedding banquet, and then all of a sudden, this man shows up that's not dressed properly, and the, and the king goes to him and he throws them out. What is this about? Until I learned again, culturally, it was the culture of the time for the, for the, the, the host, whoever was putting on the big banquet, would provide for you the right clothes to wear. I, think, I mean, I never knew that. That's just an interesting um, 
uh, thing to, to, to understand, to understand the story a little bit better. But, um, and you can also know that if, if um, you're just gathering people off from the street corners, that they would be totally inappropriately dressed. And so back in that culture, of course they would be, be dressed by the hosts. The hosts would dress them and give them their proper garments, garments to, to, um, to wear so that they'd be appropriately dressed. Um, many times in scripture you see this idea of garments as, as um, referring to, to righteousness. This idea um, that, that if you have the proper garments, you, you're righteous. And so there's this idea here of righteousness. Um, so this is the picture um, in a, it, that the wedding garment is a picture of Christ's righteousness that he has for us. Nothing that we can do on our own. It's only Christ, what he has done for us, that we can be clothed properly for his wedding banquet. I just, I mean, that's a huge twist or thing that if you didn't know the culture, you might miss that point, but I love that idea. I want you to look back in on Revelations chapter 19 again. That. We're going to read the same verses again and, and look at that with this in mind. It says, Hallelujah. Starting at verse 6. Well, the beginning of 6 talks about, um, Then I heard the sound like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. It goes on in some versions, and mine's just kind of italics, but it says fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So the idea there that it's Christ's righteousness, and that our lives will manifest righteous acts out. But he's standing there in the proper clothing with... um, um, that idea of righteousness. I'm going to look at it one more in one more place. Um, well, I wrote a, a, the verse in your chapter, so you don't have to look this up. That when we try to do things in our own, if we try to be be clean on our own, we try to be probably standing at um, the wedding banquet in front of the King of Kings on our own. It says that we are as filthy rags, and it says in Isaiah 64:6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. But the other verse I really love it's in 61 verse 10. And it says there, um, only those clothed in Christ's righteousness will be welcomed into his kingdom at that great... Oh, no, that's not what it says in 6110. <laughs> Better look it up. That's what my note says. And I, I love this verse. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, that idea of salvation again, and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. It's only what Christ has done for us that we are made right with him. Only those clothes in Christ, only those that are clothed in Christ's righteousness will be welcomed into his kingdom at that great, great banquet. I want you to just think about that for a minute. Um, I want you to close your eyes, and I, I just want us for a minute just to picture ourselves before the King of Kings. 
I want us to picture ourselves clothed only in Christ's righteousness. Nothing that we possibly could have done makes you fit to stand before that king. No, many, no matter how many good acts you did, how many, much you've sacrificed for the Lord, no matter how many times you've read your Bible, you've come to church, you've taught yourself, you've taught Sunday school, no, no matter if you've been part of missions, Anything, only Jesus' blood who, that was shed for us on that cross has made us right to stand before the King of Kings. It's a picture of yourself standing there before him in his glorious light, clothed completely in his righteousness. Father, I just thank you, I thank you, I thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, we, in our air, think we can do things on our own and make us right with you. But it's only what you have done for us on that cross. You've made us. You've taken our, our filthy rags and you've, you've completely demolished them. You've clothed us with your righteousness, your, your pure linen. And we can stand before you. We can stand without fear, without worrying, Lord, because you alone have made us clean. Forgive us for the times when we just think that that, uh, we can do it on our own without you. Help us to just know from the deep core of our being that it is only what you have done, Jesus, for us that has made us right to stand before the King of Kings, before you as Lord and Lord, Lord of Lords. We pray this in your holy and your mighty and your glorious name. Amen. I think sometimes this is sort of a stumbling block for us as Americans who we, we, we really keep wanting to do it on our own and we think we can do enough. Um, but the parable points out here that um, this guy stood out. And I know we as women, we hate it when we stand out, don't we? Don't we? I mean, if you go to a wedding and you're not properly dressed, wouldn't you feel terrible? I mean, you're just like, I'm not dressed right. And sometimes when we're walking around in this world, we think we're, we, we look different. But, and, and, but that's okay. We should look different. Because we know that at some point we are going to be standing before the King of Kings the way he wants us to look. The way he has clothed us. We need to have um, a, a boldness in our lives. And, and an, a, 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 a heart for, for what Jesus has done for us so that we can stand. We know what we stand on. We know we stand with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because he has already clothed us properly. So this, um, this gentleman that was standing there thought he had it all together. He thought um, that, that he was good enough. And I think a lot of people think that they just can go um, to church or to look like a Christian and that's enough. But it's not. And Jesus knows our heart. He knows our hearts. And he sees if we're, we're, we're just putting on a front, but we really have not accepted him. Um, this is the fourth type of rejection that I put down in your notes. Um, the others were open about the rejection. They just, they just were open about it. But there, here is the rejection of the heart, where you can play the part, where you can appear to be a Christian. You can, think, you can be doing all the right things. You have an outward pretense. You belong to a church. You're really visible. But you've never truly accepted what Christ has done for you in your life. Um, I... I've got some verses here, and I don't know why I didn't... I, I thought I had them in your notes, but I looked this morning, I saw I didn't. So you can write these down and maybe look at them later. So the first one is Ephesians 2.8. And in Ephesians 2.8 it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It's truly a gift from God. Romans 2, verses 5 through 6 is the next verse. Whoa. (laughs) Ice. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. That's Romans 2, 5 through 6. Next one is Romans 3, verses 21 through 23. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's all it is. We are right with Jesus only, uh, right with God only through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace, by His gift, this offering that He's giving to us, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I don't know, but it seems to me that this is the, the hardest of the rejections that has to be seen by our Lord. This idea that He calls them friend. And they, they play the part, but they never really um, have become a disciple of Jesus Christ. They've never really um, taken that step and risked that idea of going into the kingdom. They've never really um, asked Jesus to become Lord of our lives. Um, and Jesus ends this parable. He says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. Some versions say many are called, but... Um, but few are chosen. This is the idea that the call goes out to everybody, but only those who respond to the call or the invitation are, are, cho- are the chosen. Those who respond are those that are chosen. Um, it's not like God says, okay, you're chosen and you're chosen, but those that respond back to his call. The call goes out to everyone. He says in this passage, it's completely in our, in our control whether or not we respond. Um, it's completely in our control whether or not we put on the garment that Jesus has for us. And I put that other verse, or also said there, that it's not the will of God that any, that he's cast out anyone. It's never his will that he had to cast those out. Um, because he's provided a way. I have a question there. It's a personal question. We're not going to talk about it around our tables. But what is the reaction to your heart when I read these things? The room's gotten kind of quiet here. Um, I know it started, this banquet seems like this, an idea of such joy and anticipation, but Jesus had something to say here in the middle of it that kind of took the spirit down a little bit. I want to know, do you know the glory of, of um, being cleansed? Do you know that feeling that, that Jesus has, yes, he's forgiven you of your sins? Are you walking free from some, maybe some past sins that you used to have? Um, do you see your life has changed? Do you see fruit in your life? Do you see the Spirit working in your life? Where you're, you're doing things different than you had done before. Does your inner life match your outer life? Does the way you, you, um, you walk around, is that the same way that you are inside? Does the, the way you are inside, is that the same way you live your life? Um, and do you know the joy of the Holy Spirit? Do you feel the, the, the joy, Spirit working in you in times? Um, these are really hard questions, and I think um, the, this whole part of this 
um, parable is talking about that idea of salvation, that beginning point. And I think for many of us, we have had a point in our life where we, yes, we took on his righteousness. And then when we hear something like this, we go back and we think, oh gosh, did I do enough? Did I do enough? You know, am I really, am I, do I really have Christ's righteousness about me? Um, but this is also a passage where it says, that yes, you have done enough if you at one point have accepted Christ as your Savior. If you believe that he died for you on the cross, yes, you've done enough. You don't have to do any more. It's that simple. You are uh, can be assured that you are going to be part of that banquet. But for some of you, maybe you feel like you have just kind of uh, not given in completely to what Christ has asked you to do, completely understood what he has said, and you've tried to do it on your own. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, you know, I want um, Christ's righteousness. He paid it all. He did it all. Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. And you have that opportunity to say that prayer at any time. Ask him to come in and completely cleanse you from what, what your life was like before. And you want to be a new person in Christ. I began this lesson asking you the question, are you a risk taker? Um, Sometimes when we step into the unknown, it's easy. When it's Florida, obviously that's just sort of like a no-brainer. But sometimes it seems like a risk taker to even step into the kingdom of God, especially in this world um, where all of a sudden we as believers are being attacked more and more. We have to stand up for, our, for more character. It's asking so much more of our faith. But I think that was, that's when we'll become stronger at being what the Lord wants us to be, to take those risks to be more for our God when we know what he has done for us, when we know what we have in front of us. We have so much um, glory awaiting us. And we want to bring others into that kingdom with us. So we need to take those chances, take those risks. The rewards are going to be so amazing, more than we can even think or imagine. When Jesus um, gives a parable, I think one of the things that you always have to think about is he always expects a reaction back from us. And I want you to see what is, what is your reaction um, to this parable. I want to have you a few minutes just to talk about it. What is your initial reaction here to this parable? Um, does it excite you more? Is it just, just for a few minutes, just, we'll just give, talk around your table. What is your response to this parable after looking at it this morning? Well, that was kind of a quiet response. <laughs> kind of hard to know what your heart is responding. I want to share that with your table. I know that's that's asking a lot of you today. I started out this morning talking, telling you a story about my daughter who missed the party, the, uh, the birthday party for her, her own daughter. How crazy is that? Um, that daughter, that that daughter is the same daughter that I don't know where she is with the Lord. And so when I thought of this, I when I when I, when that happened, I just this this parable immediately came to mind. I want to just send her this lesson off, and and uh, she was always in my mind about when I was, as I was studying this lesson. She's going to be at that banquet, and I know all of you must have someone in your life that doesn't know the Lord. And so when we read these stories, one of the, the biggest or these parables, one of the biggest responses: Who do we know? It's not going to make it to the banquet. Who do we know? And uh, I know you've all been praying for that person over time. Um, we never should give up praying for those people. 
the parable where, where Jesus, where the, the, the gal was knocking on the door and the judge finally opened up the door. We never stop banging on the door for those that we love. And maybe we should be doing it even more. Um, because it's the, the, the rewards are so great. But I put a question out here just for you to write a couple names down. Who do you know in your life um, right now that you want to, that, that you think might miss the great banquet? So just write those down as I talk here. Um, what I want to just close with today is I'm just going to pray a little bit here. And um, I'm going to start the prayer time. And what I would hope for you is that as I, I start it, then I'm going to stop speaking. And I want everyone that has someone in there that they love that is not going to be at the banquet right now to just lift that name up. And I just want to, I want you to do it in a, vis, a audible voice, but not a loud voice. Just under your breath, so that I can hear murmurings of, of names that we're lifting up to the King right now, of those that you know that you not know of the Lord. And then after, when things quiet down, then I'll, I will close us. So let's just go before the King right now. Father, I, I thank you immensely for this time, for this parable, for your truths. Lord, we all will held accountable for whether or not we have received you as our Lord and Savior. We all have people in our lives that we love dearly and, and, and they just don't get it. They, they, their, their walls are so hard and so high and Lord, we just pray in your mighty name that you break down those walls right now. We pray for mighty things to happen to those that we dearly love that they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray, Jesus, that if there's anybody in this room that has not come to you and say, Lord, you are the one that I need to go to. You are the one that, that spilt your blood for me. And I want to give my life over to you, Lord Jesus. If anybody has not prayed that prayer, I pray, Jesus, that right now they ask you into their life so that they can begin this amazing journey. And Lord, I think also of those that we just bump into. Um, out on the street corners. Lord, you want you, your will is that all will come to know you. And so in these last days, Lord, we pray a mighty prayer that, that um, all those that we bump into, that we will feel called to want to talk to them about you, the King of Kings. So right now, I just want us to lift up those names of those people that we dearly love or that we know of that do not know you. Father, I I thank you for this morning. 
I, I thank you for these names that have been lifted up to you. We pound the gates for you to just break down those walls and those barriers of these dearly loved people that we love so much. Lord, in these dark days, Lord, where there's not a whole lot of light or salt out there, I pray that you use us in this room to be salt and light to all those that we influence. Give us, God, an amazing boldness that we don't even know where it comes from. It it can only be your spirit working in our lives. Give us that boldness, Lord, to speak the things in love to those that we dearly love. Lord, help us not to batter people, but just to be there for them and love them. And add those little nuggets that you put in our heart to say. Father, I also just pray for all those that do not know you at all, that we just don't really know, but we bump into. Lord, use us in mighty ways, Father. We just thank you for that privilege of, and that, that anticipation that we have, that we can be your children and that we can look forward to an amazing celebration when we all gather together at the end of, of this, this time in history. Lord, help us to keep our focus on that too, Lord Jesus, not just get so caught up in this world, but that we can look to the future of what you have planned for us. We ask this, Lord, in your mighty and glorious and holy name. Amen.